are listening to AM 1320 WARL, Attleboro, Providence. Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer on WARL 1320 The Drive with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. We're here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. on AM 1320, as well as over the Internet at 1320thedrive.com, reviewing the latest action of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer. Join me today in studio with Jim Dow of RevsNet.com. Uh, and the Revs are in that MLS Cup final with a one nothing victory over Chicago Fire earlier today in the Eastern Conference uh, Championship. The Revs Eastern Conference champions uh, heading off to Dallas on Wednesday to uh, face San Jose Earth. I mean, not San Jose Earth, face Los Angeles Galaxy. Landon Donovan confused me there. Uh, <laughs> right. Los Angeles Galaxy who had the 2 nothing victory last night over the Colorado Rapids. And that game will be on Sunday, I believe, at 3 o'clock on ABC and taking place at the Pizza Hut Park in Frisco, Texas. Uh, and it was a great game earlier today. Clint Dempsey scored in the fourth minute, and that goal uh, held on and proved to be the game winner, uh, with the Revs not having a single shot on goal after that, and Matt Reese making seven saves. Uh, Chicago really had the Revs on the back foot in the second half, but uh, the Revs got away with the win, and it was a really great team effort and uh, a great way to win that game. Yeah, it was. I think one of the things that people always say about uh, semifinals uh, in, uh, in cup competitions and so forth, and this is a semifinal for MLS Cup, is that they tend to be the ugliest games uh, of, the, of the whole tournament because both teams are so close to getting to the finals. Uh, and I think we saw a really good example of it today. That It's not that both teams played, uh, played nervous. They didn't actually seem to be nervous at all. It's just that the odds are such, the, the, the sort of standards are such that they just beat the living daylights out of each other. Certainly a lot of fouls in that game with uh, Chicago committing 28 and the Revs committing 18. So a lot of stoppages in play that way. And I think the Revs can count themselves lucky not to have come away with a few more injuries with the way some of those tackles were going. Yeah, well, I was watching the game from, from the fort, and I was about six rows up right behind the goal and uh, slightly on an angle, and I saw Shalry Joseph go down. I swore his, his leg was broken. Uh, somehow he put it back together under his sock and kept going, but that was that was a really really nasty tackle, and there were a lot of of, of, of really tough tackles. Yeah, it was uh, Chicago especially committed. Uh, I thought some dangerous tackles there with Shawry Joseph, one you mentioned. Uh, I think the, they were a little unlucky not to have seen that player get a yellow card for that tackle. With Shawry Joseph already passed off the ball, uh, really a, a couple seconds before that when the slide tackle came in from the side. So um, definitely a, a lot of dangerous play there with Chicago seeing uh, five yellow cards and a red card in the 92nd minute. Uh, definitely a closing competitive game, though, and uh, excellent game for the fans to watch. But uh, as you mentioned, not the most clean and exciting, beautiful game as we've seen the Revs produce in the past. But at, at this stage where it is one loss and you're out and the Revs were so close to winning the Cup, uh, getting that fourth-minute goal was really crucial to them succeeding that game. Well, I think one of the things that's happened with the Revs' success is that is that we expect a certain kind of uh, of stylistic play um, because they certainly have developed over the uh, the past few years, but particularly this year, into a team that that really does turn on the style. And we saw, uh, to be fair, we saw quite a bit of it in the first half. But the fact is that Chicago uh, was a very, very big and physical team with uh, a lot of skill on their own side of the ball, too. And they they played, in, in the end, they played the Revs, I think, absolutely evenly, and the game could have gone either way. 
And I, I think Chicago got a little reckless at times as well with some of their tackling. Uh, and Andy Heron saw the red card in the 92nd minute uh, after what he, scoring what he thought was going to be the game-tying goal, sending it into overtime. Uh, the line's been called it offside. On replays, it showed it was the correct call, but Heron ran over uh, quite angry at the linesman and seemed like he was trying to punch him. Took a swing. I don't think he connected, but uh, he got a red card for that. And I would expect him to see a, a long suspension for throwing off your official like that. Yeah, well, absolutely. To, to touch an official uh, in any kind of aggressive way in, in, in soccer is an, is an absolute no-no, and especially to, to, to wind up and take a punch. And some, from where I was standing, he wound up and took a punch. At the same time, uh, I know that, that with about 10 minutes to go in the game, it seemed like Chicago was getting frustrated that they, they had dominated the revolution so much, um, but they still weren't being able to get you know any clear opportunities to score. Matt, Matt Reese, to be fair, did make a couple of outstanding saves, but they weren't. They weren't. Uh, the, even those shots weren't necessarily labeled. Um, and it seems like Chicago was going back to uh, to whacking and and uh, and flying in on the tackles. And so I think that, that, that at that point, when they really did think that they had scored, and certainly if I had been a Chicago player, I would have thought it was a goal. I haven't had the luxury of seeing a replay, so I don't know. But uh, I certainly would have thought it was a goal from the Chicago player's point of view. Uh, I can sort of understand them going nuts. Swinging at the ref, no. But going nuts, yes. Well, uh, as you said, it was a very physical game, and uh, a guy like Taylor Twelman, I didn't think he had his best games, but uh, he, he suffered nine fouls in that game, and I think that was part of the reason every time he seemed to get the ball, there was someone on his back to push him over. And uh, I think Chicago, as far as that strategy worked, except for getting caught off guard and, uh, with that fr- quick free kick by Daniel Hernandez, uh, Deshari Joseph, who took the shot, and then Dempsey slid it in uh, for the game-winning goal. Except for that play, I think Chicago really worked their strategy of perfection, which is really any time the Reds got the ball, uh, foul them, take them out of their game. Right. Well, there is one thing that 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 I think was really important to to observe, and that is that the Chicago back three, um, particularly Curtin and Brown, are very very tall players, and the Revolution um, play tall. That is to say, Twelman probably plays about three or four inches above his height, um, and certainly Jay Heaps does as well. But as far as forwards go, the, the Revolution are not that that tall. Um, they play at their best in the air uh, with flat balls hit, um, you know, flat curving balls hit from people like Ralston and Kensela and Noonan uh, to the heads of Twelman and or Noonan. And we've seen it again and again and again. You're not going to hit a flat curving ball past Curtin or Brown. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Those guys are, uh, they're big, but they're also relatively agile. Uh, certainly by MLS standards, and they had everything covered. There was no way a ball was going to get in there. And so poor old Twelman is is literally lost between the trees, and the trees are hitting back, too. Well, I was a little surprised by Chicago's uh, substitution strategy as well. Um, obviously, Nate Jake was coming out because of the injury for Chad Barrett, but then uh, they brought in the 71st minute when they were down. They brought in Andy Heron for Chris Roth, a forward for a forward there. And then... Um, in the 82nd minute, they brought in a defender, Samuel Caballero, for Jesse Marsh. Uh, it didn't really seem like the substitutions they were making were really put the pressure on the Reds. Obviously, they did keep the pressure on the Reds, but uh, the substitutions, I think, were were a little uh, strange in a sense that they were losing and they were bringing in more defensive options or forwards for forwards. I think yeah, I, I think two things. I think Rolf, uh, if, if, if I'm correct from, from stuff that I read in the past week, Rolf had been really uh, criticized for, for not being uh, particularly effective as a scorer lately uh, in the latter part of the season. Uh, Caballero, I think, came in... Uh, 
uh, essentially as a forward. He came in. He came in as sort of a hail mary forward to, uh, you know, cause trouble in the box and maybe get a header. He's also a very skillful player, um, despite the fact that he's obviously a, a back when he when he plays normally. But I, I think those the Chicago substitutions were a little bit like Steve Nichols' substitutions at the end of the game last week. Uh, you know, they just threw in uh, the, the, the specific bodies that they thought they could do the job. And, you know, if you analyze it from sort of typical substitutions, they didn't look like they made sense. But I think in terms of the actual the game situation, they did. Uh, again, I think uh, if they had floated a couple more balls in the box, uh, you know, Caballero might have gotten onto one of them. Yeah, they definitely had the big bodies forward at the end of the game, and they certainly had their chances. But... Matt Reeves played well, and then they were lucky to get that offside call. It was offside, but it was certainly a very close call to make. I think Chicago could be uh, maybe a little questioning of it, because if you are going to give the edge to the advantage to the attacker, it was a very close call. Uh, but it was a bold call for the linesman to make, and he ended up getting, paying for it with almost getting punched. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, it was the right call uh, looking at replay, so uh, great for the Revs to come away and have that call and then get the win because at that point I don't think anyone wanted that game to go into overtime. No, I don't think so. Although this time, uh, as opposed to last week, I think if, the, if they had gone into overtime, I think the Revolution still could have won it and possibly and probably would have won it. Whereas last week, I think if they had gone into overtime, they would have lost. They had, they had thrown all the dice. They didn't have any defensive players. New York was coming and coming and coming and luckily they didn't score. If you think about last week, uh, you know, if uh, Jorkayev had slightly mishit that header, we'd still be playing because uh, he hit it right on a dime straight ahead. If he'd hit it to either angle, it would either side of Shari Joseph, it would have gone in the net. And this week, you know, we miss a, uh, a goal by a foot or two on an offside call. Um, you know, those are what winning teams, that's what happens to winning teams, that they, they get the breaks and they get the calls, and they also make their own breaks. Uh, and so we've seen this really interesting combination of that in the last couple of weeks as the, you know, playoffs have heated up. Well, the other interesting thing uh, in talking for really about the game was what happened after the whistle uh, when it seemed Zach Thornton uh, was riled up about something and seemed to come charging after a red player. It looked like maybe Jay Heaps. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but uh, that's certainly not something you like to see after the whistle's blown players going after each other. No, you don't. But then on the other hand, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the criticisms about MLS has, has been the sort of lack of passion. And I think that um, we're now getting to the point, it's 10 years on, some of these players have been in the league for a long time and are still, you know, young, really good players like, say, a Jay Heaps or, or Zach Thornton. And, uh, you know, sort of uh, old animosities build up. Uh, there are now rivalries. Uh, you know, there's certain teams that we don't like. There's certain teams that don't like us. And um, that, to me, is, is from the fans' point of view, I think is really, really good. Um, because we need more passionate games, we need more more edge. We don't necessarily need brawls, and we certainly don't ne- need people slugging referees. But I think the sort of heat of play that we've seen in the last three weeks, the the two games against New York and the game today, those are, that, that, that's what make, brings fans back. And and I should say on the side, you know, there's a big crowd today, uh, over eighteen thousand. I was walking through the crowd before the game and after the game and stuff. It, this was not the usual sort of, uh, excuse me for saying it, soccer mom crowd. This, this were people who wanted to come and hear soccer and see soccer and make noise, and, and there was a really nice positive edge to, to the fans, too. I think the Revs made a lot of friends for themselves tonight. Yeah, it was a great crowd and a great game, and uh, coach of Chicago Fire, Dave Sarakin, uh, I got the opportunity to speak to him after the game, and he was uh, talking about 
what happened with that incident after the game and a few other aspects and how, what he thought of the loss and how he thought Chicago would play against New England this year, and we can play that for you now. It's got to be 100% clear, and the, only the replay will tell when I go see the replay. It's just frustrating, obviously, when you're battling and battling and taking every ch every opportunity to get back into the game, and now you, you get rewarded with a goal. And it, you know, if it's 100% offside, then I'll hats off to the linesman. I can't comment because I, I wasn't in line with it. So, do you think it was inevitable? He really had possession, lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I'll be honest, and I respect New England. Good luck to them. Uh, but in all the games we've had with New England this year, if you look at the possession chart, uh, we, we came out clearly ahead. It doesn't mean you win the games. But uh, I was very proud of my team for the fact that, uh, you know, we gave up an awful goal from my standpoint. We fell asleep three minutes in, and now you got 87 minutes to try to get back into it. And we did everything we could to do that, and uh, it just didn't fall for us. What happened on the Revolution goal? It almost seemed like a mix-up. Well, three, th three things happened. One is when the foul was committed, we didn't get over the ball to, to stop a, a quick free kick. Secondly, you know, Nate Jake was marked up with Shalri, but Nate's a forward, and where it happened, we didn't. Re Nate couldn't get back. And third, we didn't have enough guys in the back that just said, all right, I'll deal with, with Shalri. So we fell asleep, quite frankly. And someone even said to me, Dempsey might have been offside on the sh I don't know, though. But we, we fell asleep on that one. Did you feel like, although that the revolution came at a very fast-paced maybe caught you unawares the first five or ten minutes they really seem to have a, a fast tempo going no I mean you know they have to being at home in the championship final we expected them to be coming at us pretty good and you know we, I thought we weathered that storm fairly well we could have been a little more patient I thought with the ball uh, early on I think we were rushing things and maybe that that's because of New England's pressure once once they let themselves off the, once they hit the wall a little bit we started to keep the ball better you didn't uh, really allow them to possess the ball in the second half you had a we talked about just passing and moving and being active at halftime, and, and uh, you know that's the only way we were going to create chances. Just throwing balls up in the air is not the way you beat New, New England, and uh, so you know they, they dug in and, and broke up a lot of plays, and uh, you know we took took our fair chances and uh, just didn't fall. Losing Jake when you did having to make a substitution before you even get to halftime. I mean, how does that change things for you? Well, you know, we think we got a good depth of, of forwards, but obviously Nate's a whole different dimension. I don't think their back three has faced a guy like Nate, you know, since he, and. Uh, it, you know, it, it was a blow to us, but uh, I thought actually young Chad did pretty well. You know, we ended up with five rookies on the field, I think, four or five. So, uh, you know, we were young, but they battled. But, yeah, losing Nate didn't, it was difficult. Because what happened in the end of the final whistle? What happened after the final whistle? I just think there were some emotions going on. There was... I don't know exactly, you know, there might have been an incident that happened in the game that uh, our guys took a little personally, and there were some words, but uh, there were just some emotions, you know, little boys boiling over a little bit. That was uh, Chicago head coach Dave Sarkin and uh, his thoughts on the game, and I'm not sure I 100% agree with him on talking about going over the past uh, four Revs games and saying that Chicago had majority possession, I think. On the road, maybe that's the case, but I think the Reds played uh, Chicago very well in home the two games. I think uh, a three did nothing win and a one nothing win. Maybe the end of season game, Chicago would say they had more possession, but I think Chicago really played a, a good regular season series against. Uh, I mean, I think the Reds played a good regular season series against Chicago. Oh, oh yeah, I think in, in fact they own Chicago um, pretty much, but 
um, at the same time, you know, Chicago is uh, a very, very good team. Uh, I think one of the real signs of how good they are and one of the real signs of the maturity of this league is the fact that they came out in the first half, as he said, they weathered the storm. Um, then they put, you know, they decided to sort of, in, in the hockey parlance, put some lumber on the on the opposition to, to soften them up, and they did, and they did it really uh, pretty effectively, although the reps certainly didn't back off. But then, uh, as soon as they came out for the second half, they played a completely different style, and they played a completely different style for the next uh, 36, 38 minutes. Um, you know, I think it is a really interesting thing when you see teams uh, be able to play uh, two or three different styles during a game and be able to change things on the fly. Uh, that was very, very impressive to me. Yeah, everyone, as you said, tried to soften up the team. Uh, as interesting note, everyone on Chicago Fire committed a foul except for... Uh, two of the substitutions, so certainly that was a, a plan of theirs looking at that to, to say that they were trying to go after the Revs and uh, commit those fouls. Uh, and Steve Nichol, I talked to him after the game, what he thought on the game and uh, the physicality of the game, and I, I think he kind of expected that from Chicago, the way the season and series had gone so far. And now we can play Steve Nichols' comments for you now. Uh, you know, to get over the final hub, though, we had to... We had to be strong and stick together and win challenges, and uh, that's what we did. You were really, you were kind of predicted one. You said it probably wasn't going to be a pretty game, and it really wasn't. No, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors in that. You know, you know, the field itself was kind of bumpy, which was going to make it hard to be to be smooth with the passing. But I felt we did that for 35 minutes, and then after that we kind of lost it, but we stuck together and uh, toughed it out. How do you feel your team performed in the second half, especially? No, but well, we don't. We wouldn't like to do that every week. Yeah, I mean it's always nice when you when you see a ball going in the box in there and you're you know you're 100% confident that Matt's getting it. It's a great feeling for us sitting on the bench, and I'm sure the guys on the field are uh, more than happy to see him catching it. And Daniel, he had a couple struggles the last couple games, but made the big play that won you the ball game today with that quick free kick. That was real heady. I mean, that, is that something that you? I know it's something you usually preach to play quick on the free kick. Yeah, I mean, it's if it's on to play it, then play it. Uh, if not, then you go to set pieces of work on. So not only the not only the ball he played, Danny was huge today. I mean, you saw him at the end; he was completely shattered, but he still managed to tackle people, get back, and. It was just great. Your thoughts on how Chicago performed tonight, pretty much as expected? Yeah, I mean, they're a big, big physical, strong team. And, um, you know, set pieces was going to be where we were uh, we were going to be done by them. You know, they're good on, they've got some big guys, and they're good on set pieces. So, you know, we tried to minimize the free kicks around about the edge of the box. Did, did he feel a lift in sense when Jacob came off? Because he's such a huge target man for them. Not particularly. We were under pressure at the time, so, you know, nothing changed when he went off. Uh, but we're just pleased that we stayed strong and stayed together and, uh, you know, we fought it out to the end. Now, when Ralston came off, we just uh, he took a little bit of a knock. Was that what was the reason why? Yeah. Yeah, he was, you know, half-time we, we were unsure and he was unsure, but he said, you know, let me let me see what I can do and uh, if I'm in trouble, then I'll give you a call. And that's, that's exactly what happened. Now, what Mike, Mike, somebody else. Please. What are your thoughts on the Galaxy? You have a week to prepare for them. Rematch of 2002 MLS Cup this minute we're not really thinking about it to be, to be honest with you um, again it comes down to us if, if, if we can put the pressure on them then it minimises you know what they can do to us certainly we'll you know we respect them as a team they're a good side they're, they're, they're dangerous they've got some weapons but uh, if we can do what we want then it'll, it'll take that you know take that that uh, I'll just take it away from them. Basically. So, what does it mean to you to go back to the cup? I mean, 
everything, you know. It's everybody plays this game, whether you're a, a player or a coach. You know, you do it because you want to win things, and um, we want to win. Does it feel any different this year as opposed to 2002? The team, same, you know, team you had. It's just as satisfying, but you know, obviously it's, you know. Your perfect season is to play great attractive soccer all year, get the final winner. Thanks for coming. But it doesn't usually work that way. So, you know, we've certainly played better better football, better soccer this year, uh, which is always, uh, it's always nice to do. Can you just describe what you saw on the goal? Just a good early ball from Danny. You know, Shaori, I think, really was trying to score himself. Um, good job, Clint followed up, uh, put it in the net. Just good instinctive play, you know. Um, what about the second half? They came at you uh, pretty much blazing, really all out attacking and uh, just absorbing all that pressure. Yeah, I feel as though we, we coped really well. I mean, they, they did put us under pressure, absolutely. But, you know, I don't remember them having a real clean, clear-cut chance. You know, the couple of shots that Matt saved, but they were from distance. Um, so really, I thought we defended well. You know, we, we, kept, we kept them out of the box well and uh, just stood strong. Stephen, what did you see what happened after the final whistle? I never saw anything. I mean, just all of a sudden, it was a quasi little melee broken up. You know, you know, you forget this is an important game for everybody, for us and for Chicago. Um, we're obviously elated and they're disappointed. Um, but uh, there was nothing there, I don't, you know. Everybody's uh, shaking hands and slam backs at the end, so let's move on. We've got a final next year or whatever, next week, sorry. Hopefully next year as well. <laughs> was because you didn't you weren't able to possess the ball second half as well as I'm sure you'd like but you sort of just had to to hold on um, just talk about the way that you did have to just weather that was storm. a problem for us possessing the ball was definitely a problem second half uh, which is why we brought Pepe on yeah um, I think he, he contributed well to that you know he did get a hold of it a bit although we were under severe pressure yeah. but we coached with it we stood up to it um, and I think we, we deserve to be in the final this year Pepe isn't exactly the player that you might look for to, to sort of settle things down to hold the lead rather than uh, he seems like more of an offensive spark kind of player rather than uh, yeah, well he holds, he holds the ball well and you know the dilemma we had is do you put Pepe in against a, a, a team who's really out muscling us um, and we decided that you know his his ability to hold the ball just might you know just might take a bit of air out of, out of the game and I think it did to a certain extent definitely made a difference when he came in and uh, we're glad we made the change. Last question. The uh, physical nature is kind of part of the course between these two teams is a little chippier th than usual and how do you feel you guys sort of held up to it? I don't think it was any chippier than usual. You know, both teams are trying to get to the MLS Cup final. You know, I don't expect us uh, or them to be coming and standing back and applauding each other every time we make a pass. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So, yeah. no. You know, it was a tough game. There were some hard challenges. One or two, I think the referee missed, but on the whole, you know, we kind of dealt with it pretty well. So, we're happy to move on. That was New England Revolution head coach Steve Nichol and his uh, post-game comments on the game. And now we have Greg Loss, a former New England Revolution player and currently the rev color commentator for the broadcast on the TV and on the radio. Greg, can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure. This is great. Yeah, the refs headed to the MLS Cup final for the second time in team history. Uh, the game today, obviously, a, a little sloppy and physical, and the refs on the back foot in the second half, but 
Uh, they did everything they needed to do to secure the win, and uh, it was great to get off to such an early start uh, with that Clint Dempsey goal. Was that the type of game you were expecting out of the two teams? Well, uh, going into this game, I actually predicted 2-0. I thought the Revs were going to come and take it to them a little bit more than they did. Uh, I think Chicago came in sort of flying high on confidence with that 4-0 win, and, and actually a little sort of um, cocky in a way that they didn't deserve to be yet, because they were still a, basically a 500 team. And, uh, you know, so they came in flying, and the first 15 minutes, I think the Reds did a great job of sort of, it's kind of like, you know, smacking that guy upside the head and saying, wait a second here, you're, you're with the big boys still. And, uh, and they did a great job, but then they backed off, and they started to give, a little, give them a little too much room especially in the midfield, Thiago started to find some space, and uh, Chicago fired those guys up and down the flanks, which caused some problems. And uh, So I was surprised that it went that way. I thought the Revs would come out and get, do a little bit more of a full performance. And with Chicago committing uh, 28 fouls in the game, do you think that uh, was part of the reason that it really took the Revs out of their game? Uh, I think that they were fouling. I mean, you just heard Nichols say he didn't think it was any chippier than any other game. I, I kind of disagree. I do think that there were lots of fouls. I think Chicago came out with a couple of things on their mind. Number one was to kick Taylor Twelman anytime he came near the ball. Um, and and then everything else, you know, every single tackle they went into, they went into hard. Nate Jake was yellow card over on the corner, over on the sideline, I'm sorry. Um, was, uh, it was just a silly tackle. You knew he was going in to hit the man and not just to get the ball. And, and uh, you know, I think it sort of it definitely affected the revolution and it's something they're going to have to think about going forward. Yeah, Taylor Twelman, uh, the league's leading scorer in the regular season. As you said, uh, they really went out and tried to foul him. He suffered nine fouls in the game, but it really did take him out of his game, it seemed to. And uh, a guy like him to go scoreless in the three games in the postseason so far, is that uh, surprising? Uh, very surprising, except when you look at the fact that the Revolution have not been getting him the ball where he needs it to score goals. Taylor Twelman is not a collect the ball at his foot, turn the man. He's, you know, he's not Thierry Henry. He's not going to do that. He needs the ball delivered into his feet or his head where he can get onto it. And, you know, outside of the first 15 minutes when Ralston was able to find some space and behind the defense, the Revolution really have not had much success in, in getting the ball wide and getting a good service in for, tw- for Twelman to run onto. And uh, the same actually happened in the first two games against the Metro Stars. And Matt Reese really seemed to have a great game uh, making the seven saves and getting his first shutout of the postseason this year. Uh, compared to Zach Thornton, who didn't make a single save, uh, but the Reds really weren't putting the pressure on Zach Thornton. How big of a game do you think Matt Reese had? And do you think uh, he's part of the reason that the Reds are made it through? Well, I think it's, it, he definitely had a good game, especially on those two saves. It was a great shot from Wade, uh, from Chad Barrett when he turned and had a good good go. And then uh, I believe it was Tiago who had another shot at one point. And, and Matt made two almost identical mirror saves, um, one to his left and one to his right. And it was those saves that you need to make when the time comes. And, you know, Matt Reese has had sort of a quiet season, and I think he's had a very good playoff, though, and he stepped up right when he needed to. Uh, Greg, this is Jim Dow from ResNet. I was curious, from standing back in the fort and watching the game, uh, Matt Reese's kicking game seemed to change dramatically in the second half. He started hitting the ball low. He hit a couple of uh, uh, scuffed ones, uh, I think a, a couple of clearances that were not usually up to his style. And I was just wondering if he had, he had gotten knocked around uh, and bashed. He was certainly knocked to the ground a few times. 
Well, it, it certainly there were a couple of times when they came in hard, and uh, they got the one in his back. I, I think there were a couple of shanks that I saw as well, and it's mm-hmm. sort of yes. very uncharacteristic of Matt Reese. He's usually so solid on those. Absolutely. Um, I have no word whether he was injured and hurting and wasn't able to kick because of that. Um, I know he took one knock in the back. Looked like it was right on his buttocks, I guess. Uh, yeah, on the radio, I guess we have to be yep. uh, polite. <laughs> um, and and then there was another one where uh, Samuel Caballero came in with his elbow very high and whacked him in the head. And I was yep. actually surprised Caballero didn't get a little uh, stronger card than just the yellow because um, that elbow was very high. Um, but I, I haven't heard anything about whether he was hurt after the game or anything like that. I have a, another question. You, you saw both uh, both Metro Stars games and, and this game, and have been watching the Rev all, all year long. Um, the the substitutions that, that Steve Nickel made last week and the substitutions that Dave Sarajan made this week seem to be real rolls of the dice. And my sense was that if if indeed that last Chicago goal had gone in, that at that point Chicago was so unbalanced that if they then played a 30-minute minigame that the Revs would have come back and taken it. Uh, in the set, by the same token, I sensed last week if the Revs hadn't uh, scored and held on to win uh, and the game had gone into overtime, uh, again, that the Revs would have been so unbalanced uh, that, that New York would have probably taken the game. Do you think that's a fair analysis? Well, I, I might agree with you on the Chicago one, not necessarily on the Revs one. I think that if you go into overtime, I mean, you're still trying to score goals. And the substitutions that uh, Nickel made last week were offensive substitutions. Even putting James Riley in for Joe Fancino was an offensive substitution to try and get Riley up, down, up and down that left flank a little more. Um, and then obviously Connor Smith and, and Cancelo were both offensive substitutions. This week, I totally agree with you, though. I, I'm still confused as to why Chris Rolfe came out unless he was hurting um, and why you'd put Sammy Caballero in when you need a goal. Um, and, and, you know, it's not like they were getting a lot of corner kicks this game where a big body like uh, Caballero would help you that much. Um, but, you know, uh, you guys, I assume you guys saw the replay of the goal, the Chicago goal that yep. was not a goal. Yep. No, I haven't actually. So. Well, uh, he he was offside, just so you know. But so before anyone, you know, if anyone from Chicago calls in and yells at you or anything, uh, he was definitely offside. We saw the replay. So. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it was some some strange substitutions from Chicago, definitely. Yeah, I was surprised with that too, with the defensive guy like Samuel Caballero coming in for Jesse Marsh, who has really been the the key to their central midfield with Chris Armas out, a guy like Jesse Marsh. Uh, but also in that game, it seemed like the the Chicago Fire were kind of going out and committing these reckless fouls against the Revs that uh, maybe were unlucky not to have gotten second yellows for some of the fouls they committed. And uh, do you think they kind of threw caution to the wind in that sense and were trying to really take the Revs out of their games by committing fouls regardless of uh, the card situation? Well, I mean, uh, yes and no. I think... I think they had it in their mind that we're going to go out there and play a physical game. I mean, let, let's be honest. That, you know, no professional player goes out there and just says, I'm going to go out there and try and get a red card, you know, to throw the other team off. Because you just you can't do that, and you can't be reckless. I do think that they came out with an attitude of, um, of we need to be physical with the revolution. Um, and sometimes that gets your emotion, your juices flowing a little more than it should, such as when Nate Jaqua fouled uh, over on the side. I'm trying to remember who he fouled him. I think it was James Riley uh, yeah, on yeah, that flank. And, and so, and, you know, I don't think that anyone's going out there on purpose to be reckless, but I do think they went out there to be physical. 
And sometimes it got away from them. And I think the referee actually missed a couple of red cards, maybe missed a penalty kick when Kondemski went down in the box. And, uh, you know, but that was their game plan. And to be honest, if you look at the, the, the flow of the game, it worked. I mean, Chicago dominated most of the game. Um, but the Revolution did a good job to defend and not give them any chances. Yeah, if you look at the flow of the game, there wasn't. Right, yeah. You know, I mean, Chicago actually had lots of space in the midfield. Thiago seemed to just be able to get the ball at will. Um, you know, I, I actually think I agree with you that uh, the change for Jesse Marsh actually hurt them. Really? Yeah. yeah, and uh, with that change... Uh, Jesse Marsh is really one of the create, more creative guys in the midfield who sets up some of the chances, and it was surprising. He seemed pretty upset about it as well coming off there. So uh, well, He's been in that place for a long time, and you know, a player like him who's been on that team for so long, and he's, he's had a very good season. He's gotten some goals, most of them on penalty kicks, but he's gotten some goals. And uh, you know, I, would, I would be pretty angry if I were him too coming off at that point. Greg, we were just talking before before you came on about uh, the the idea that you know as the league matures now, and so when you mentioned Jesse Marsh, that made me think of it. You know, these guys, there's some guys now who have been in the league for a good long time, but they're still at the top of their game. And there's a sort of wonderful edge coming into games now, where where there is some history and there are, is some animosity built up. And to me, as a spectator, that that adds something to the game. Oh, definitely. I mean, you see some of the personal battles. I mean, we were I was just talking with a friend of mine next week uh, at MLS Cup. Los Angeles comes in. I can't wait to see Kobe Jones go up against Joe Franchino. <laughs> you know, there's some, there's, some, oh, there's some bad blood in there stemming from the 2002 MLS Cup final even where they went at it head-to-head. Um, and I think that it, it creates a, a bunch of fan interest. You, you, you break it down into these man-on-man battles. And uh, and people care about those as much as they care about the team on team battle. And Steve Rawson, obviously a key member of this team uh, on the right wing, and really, really the Revs' best uh, wing. He played on the left today, but uh, he can't, went, had to leave with an injury in the 22nd minute. Jose Cancelo. It didn't seem like he was too bad off. He was still sprinting and running around before that. But uh, do you know what his injury is and what it looks like for the for the situation for next weekend? I don't. I haven't uh, talked to anyone. I actually. Uh didn't go down to the locker room. It was too much chaos for me. They were going to be having their party tonight, so I don't know what happened. I hope he's he's good. I mean, I, I you know, he still lasted 70 minutes, so I imagine he will be okay. Did you see where the injury happened? Or? No, I didn't see. I mean, there were a couple of, I didn't see where Jake got injured either. I don't think he was actually injured on that hard tackle. I think there was something else that happened later on. Um, so I'm not sure what happened to him either. And Matt Reese obviously taking the two fouls from uh, behind in the back there. Uh, it, it looked like, as you as mentioned earlier, that his kicks got worse. But uh, do you think possibly in those two fouls, maybe the first one, uh, he kind of rolled around a little bit too, little bit more than was necessary to possibly waste a little time off the clock and some games were just oh, there? The first one, the first one, Matt Reese, you know, he he played it to the tee. He knew exactly. He knew he was going to be hit on that one. The second one, he didn't know he was going to be hit. The first one, he rolled around. You could actually see a slight smirk on his face. While he was rolling around, he's telling yeah, you, yeah, I could see it from the stands. Still some time, you know, and uh, you know, as a player, it's kind of nice to lie down for a couple of seconds. <laughs> and so I think he was getting a little rest. So, and I know you're driving to New York now, but is it okay to ask a few more questions? Yeah, yeah, no, I actually stopped for this. I right, come on, I'm not going to drive and talk to you guys. <laughs> Full focus, man. Full focus. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for that. And uh, the play of Jose Cancelo obviously was a big part of the uh, win. Last weekend, uh, and this week I, I think he did come on, and uh, Steve Nichols said that 
he did really help a little bit with the possession, and he he did uh, create a chance for the Revs there with the pass to Twelman. That Twelman took to the corner flag and wasted some time there. So, uh, what do you think of his play in the game today? Uh, I think Kinsella. I think he did what he was asked to do. He was asked to go out there and kind of hold the ball, try and direct traffic a little more. I think they, when they brought Pat Noonan into the midfield, I think that that hurts them a lot. Um, if you're trying to improve your team, you know, make your team as good as possible, Pat Noonan is better up top where he can hold the ball for the team so that, you know, even someone like Ken Sela can pass it up to Noonan and hold on to it. That being said, you have to do what you need to do. You bring Noonan back, you bring Kinsella in. I think he held on to the ball. You know, he actually had a really nice ball that he sent across the box, too, at one point. Um, so uh, he's going to be very important next week, I think. Something tells me Kinsella's going to have a big role next week. And Andy Heron for Chicago is really a player who's a, a veteran player, not a young player. Are, are you a little surprised that his uh, emotions got the best of him there when he was called outside and that he really ran over to the linesman and took a swing at him? I, I'm surprised any time. Well, I don't care if you're... Seven years old or 27 or 97, I'm always surprised when someone goes over and gets that that vociferous and violent uh, regarding a call. I mean, it, it's it, it's done. Yelling and getting a red card just hurts you that much more. If you if you have any brains at all, you're going to stop doing that. You know, you're just not going to yell and scream and get a red card. It's, it, it you hurt your team even more than anything else. Has. Well, certainly that was the 89th minute. They still had. Uh five or six minutes left in, uh, in stoppage time where they could have pulled off a goal, so it really kind of ended his team's chances with that. Exactly. It's, it's you know, it's, to me it's just, it's immature. And then after the game was over, it seemed, uh, Zach Thornton seemed agitated about something, and really uh, a lot of Chicago players were kind of charging over to the Revs players when it was time to really bring out the trophy, and they were celebrating that, and uh, Chicago players seemed mad about something there. Do you uh, know what that could have been about, and were you surprised to see that happen? I was very surprised. I mean, you know, it, it, if they're mad about the goal, it wasn't the ref's fault. But it was the referee's fault, you know, even though the referee got it right. If they're mad about something else, well, you know, whatever. They had 28 fouls. They got their digs in. So I, I really don't know what happened in that scenario. And at, at some point, this goes back to what I was saying about maturity. Just walk away. You lost the game. And, and you know, stating your case in this public way really just doesn't help you at all. Exactly. Those guys like uh, Zach Thornton and uh, like Andy Rowan, like I mentioned, who are really the veteran players in this league who have been in the league for a while or have been in other leagues for a while, you'd think they'd know better than to go after players like that when the game's over and it's done. Uh, yeah, but then again, it also goes back to that point we were talking about earlier about those little battles sort of creating a little controversy. And, you know, so if you think about this league and this soccer, you know, as, as it's also entertainment and trying to create a fan base, Maybe these veterans know exactly what they're doing when they go over there and they create some, some you know, they stir the pot a little bit. Greg, I was uh, curious along those lines, um, two things. First of all, this was, um, I think, just about the biggest crowd of the season or one of the two or three biggest. But it seemed to me to be a very different crowd than, than what we're used to. There was a lot more edge to it. There was a lot more excitement in the air. Uh, people weren't out for just a, a nice, pleasant day. They were really out to bury Chicago. Did, did, did that penetrate up into the upper reaches in the press box and so forth? Oh, yeah. The crowd was great. I mean, we could hear them all, all, all game long. And, uh, you know, everybody loves a winner. And everybody loves that, that when their team wins. And I think that everybody wants to urge their team on. And I thought that this crowd did a really good job tonight of, of, of helping their guys on. And my second question is, um, one of the things that I've always 
wanted or my ambition as a fan of this team is is for the for the revs in specific but MLS teams in general to to move outside MLS and play in uh, regional and uh, you know international uh, cup competitions i thought the catolica dc united and the, uh, to a lesser extent the puma dc uh, tournament last uh, this season was really 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 exciting um, how do you feel about that in terms of uh, MLS teams making their mark I think it's great. I think it's very important that MLS um, embraces the world soccer. I mean, they need to to be very, very adamant that they are part of the game around the world. I mean, I uh, I work for a website called Goal.com, and we do well. Our whole thing is to try and bring U.S. soccer to the rest of the world. And you know, my feeling is that. A team like the Revolution, who now, being in the finals of MLS Cup, have guaranteed themselves a spot in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Uh, the two teams that made the final would go in this year, was decided. And I think it's just great. It's great for the team. It's great for the league. And it opens the eyes of some of the other countries in this region. You know, it's not just the national team that's going to open eyes and create excitement. It's going to come from these MLS teams doing something in one of these tournaments as well. Well, talking about uh, the Champions Cup, uh, we saw D.C. and teams like L.A., the two teams that have won it from MLS. Uh, but then we saw when the Revs made it into that tournament before, it seemed like they maybe didn't take it as seriously as they should have, um, not even even forfeiting the home game to play that uh, away as well. Uh, do you think if that, this, that situation, since they're having that this year, they think they'll treat that differently and maybe have learned from that? I sure hope so. I mean, I hope that, I hope that everybody understands that this is a long-term project, MLS, and that it's, it's not just the United States. I mean, this is a, a project to, to, to make it big around the world. Uh, you know, the, the great example is the Premiership in England. The Premiership is not what it is now because it's big in England. It's what it is now because it's big around the world. It's huge around the world, and that's why the players want to go there, because they know that they're going to be seen everywhere, and they're going to be cheered by people in Bangladesh and people in, you know, Johannesburg and people in the United States. And, and I think that MLS needs to think along those lines as well. If we can get a team like New England Revolution who go to the Champions Cup and they beat this team, you know, let's say they beat Saprissa from Costa Rica, maybe you make three new fans that actually live in Costa Rica. That's a huge step. Yeah, yeah definitely. And um, also the opportunity to play against some of these bigger teams in Europe too if they win the tournament and then make it to the World Club Championship, which is now back in session as well. Exactly. I mean, the last time the World Club Club Championship was going to come on, uh, it got canceled at the last minute, right? So, I mean, I think it's... And L.A. was going to go. And uh, Alexi kept telling me, this is going to be great, this is going to be great. And uh, I think he got his expectations up a little high, and then it all fell apart. And, uh, you know, the Club Championship, that's where you're going to really make your name. It's when something's on the line. When you play Real Madrid, when they're on a preseason tournament, eh, you can get a couple of nice accolades. But do you really make your name? No. You make your name in a big, important game. Right. I, I, I totally agree. And then along those lines, I, I thought one of the interesting things about, about the crowd today was there were a lot of people from Central America, a lot of people from Honduras. Uh, and the reason for that is Chicago has, I think, three outstanding Honduran players. Uh, MLS seems to have made a, an interesting switch from um, signing uh, aging Euro guys to uh, signing young to middle, mid-career uh, Central American guys, and I think it's really, really helped the league in terms of the quality of play. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think it's helped the league across the board, and yet the revolution 
you know, they don't have any. Oh no, I, mean, I, I which understand. Is all, which is also interesting. I mean, you know, do you think that do you think that the fans that came out tonight were there to watch Cigares um, and to watch Ivan Guerrero, or were they out there to watch the Reds? I, I think both. Uh, yeah. I think there were players. Uh, excuse me, there were fans who came to watch uh, to watch the Honduran well, there, players. There, there certainly were Brazilian fans there for Tiago. I saw a group of people there just with the Brazilian flag, and I think there some people are attracted just to players like that. Sure, and they should be, and and you know, but it's, I think it's our responsibility also to, uh, I guess, inform or educate people to say, look, a player like Tiago is great to watch. They're fun and they're important, but at the same time. You know, if the team if the team aspect isn't there as well, it doesn't matter. I mean, the one thing about Brazil, and this is where it all gets lost, because they're lost in the the magic of watching Ronaldo or Ronaldinho. What gets lost in that is that the Brazilian team is incredible when it comes to organization and communication and structure and playing with each other and teamwork. And that's what I love about this Revolution team. They are a total team. Watching them play and mix their individual talents is really something fun to watch. Well, and along those lines, uh, I, I can't tell you how many people I've brought to games this year who haven't seen them before or maybe seen them back when they weren't particularly good, and they come away pretty much with that exact observation that they, they have never seen a U.S.-based team that interacts uh, in sort of the Liverpool style the way these guys do. Yeah, exactly. And, and Liverpool is a good example, especially like the, the 80s Liverpool. Exactly. Teams, like and those yeah. guys were there. You could just watch, and Nickel, of course, and you could just watch these teams, you know, working together and, and how they would just sort of maneuver and manipulate the field any way they wanted. And, and you know, there are times when the revolution seemed like they could do anything they wanted on the field. Yeah, definitely. This is a team that I thought at the beginning of the season was really dominating the league and uh, maybe that dropped off a little bit, but still a very creative team. And the partnership between Pat Noonan and Taylor Twelman has been one of the most exciting four combos in the league, if not the best in the league to watch. Uh, but the team has bro- broken that up really in the, maybe the past two games and uh, towards the end of the game with the substitutions and pushing Dempsey up at four. Do you think that's uh, something that maybe they should avoid at all costs just to keep that going even if they are trying to hold on to a lead? Well, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, I would like to see them avoid that, but not at all costs. I mean, if you need if you need to bring a player like Kinsella in, you don't want to push Dempsey out into the midfield, uh, out into out on the flank. Sorry, and you know, Noonan's a much better flank option than Dempsey is. Um, you know, if you're going for the goal, obviously the change would be something more like Hernandez comes out rather than Ralston. Uh, injuries, you never know what might happen. Um, I think Dempsey's a better attacking midfielder than he is a forward. I would like to see him become much more involved than he has been in the last three games. Even though he got the goal tonight, he still wasn't involved the way we saw him, especially in April and May and June of this year. Um, and I think he needs to pick it up to this final. This is his chance to really shine, and uh, I hope he takes that chance. And talking about the final, uh, what do you expect to see out of L.A., a team that's uh, really been riding on how well Lynn and Donovan plays in the playoffs like he's done every year? And uh, a guy like that is a player who can change the game, and that's going to be tough for the team to defend against him. But what do you expect to see out of uh, Landon Donovan and the Galaxy against the Revs? Well, uh, you know, this game is really an intriguing game, I think, because it's almost like watching Italy play Holland and with the, with the uh, Italians being L.A. They're going to come out, and they're going to defend, and then they're going to go quickly with a counterattack, I think. You know, you've got a player like Donovan and Hercules Gomez and Kobe Jones up top, and these are players who... They go very quickly when they get it, and and uh, but they're not necessarily 
the players who are going it's not a team that's going to possess the ball that's not their game their game is to get it into Landon get it out to Kobe Jones and just go and go with as much speed as you can get it to the flanks and whip it in and maybe Hercules Gomez gets to it or maybe Landon Donovan just picks it up and runs at you but they're not going to string 12 passes together the way the Revolution do and that's where the Revolution needs to really break them down they need to suck out the LA defense with their passing in the midfield get the ball wide get it to the line and serve it in for Taylor Coleman to bash it home uh, one thing that I, I've observed uh, certainly today was, uh, but also over the season, that the most effective revolution crosses are the low uh, bending ones uh, that go to Twelman's head almost on a on a level. And when they played today against those huge guys from Chicago, th- those things weren't going to go in. I would think they'd have more success against LA. I would hope so. I mean, you know, they're not as big in back. LA isn't. Um, and, and I also don't think that defensively, LA is as strong on the flanks, and I think that's going to be a big uh, factor in this. They're playing Kobe Jones out on the right and Ned Grabovoy out on the left, and it's going to allow the players, whoever the revolution have out there, um, whether, you know, Ralston, uh, James Riley, whoever, to get in behind those defenders, those defenders, because Kobe Jones doesn't necessarily like to track back. Grabovoy thinks he's actually a number 10 attacking midfielder, and so you're going to find some spaces in behind there for those two to run out and, and get some good crosses in. And I agree with you. When that cross comes, it's got to be whipped in there because Kevin Hartman, the keeper from L.A., he's a good keeper. He's red. He's experienced. He can read the game. And uh, he'll cut out anything that's cut up too high. Did you have a prediction for that final result of that game? 7-1. to one. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, I'm actually going to go. Since I, you know, I've had some good luck with it. I'm going to stick with 2 nothing Revolution. Well, two to one, two to one revolution because Landon has decided to play finally. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before I let you go here, uh, I know you write for MLSNet.com. You mentioned Goal.com, but uh, where are some of the places people can see uh, your writing? Well, those are two places: Goal.com, MLSNet.com. I also do some uh, magazine work for like uh, Continental Airlines magazine and Boston Magazine and the Boston Globe. Sometimes you can see me all around. Well, thanks a lot for uh, coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. This is great. Uh, that was Greg Loss, the Revolution uh, color commentator for the TV broadcast and the radio broadcast. And uh, it was really an excellent game today for the Revs with the one nothing victory. Uh, but now we can look forward to the game MLS Cup uh, with the Revs versus Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a difficult game for them. Uh, they they haven't seen Landon Donovan in playoff mode yet. And uh, I, I know in playoffs he really can turn it on and be a, really a world-class player. Well, I think we saw a really good example uh, the last two games, not not today, but the, the games against New York with Jorkayev and uh, Guevara, who I kind of think are one player in a, in a way. They, they play so well together. Um, and the idea that, that the Revolution have not faced uh, that many teams that have dominant players uh, like that or like Donovan. And the question is going to be, are they going to change their defensive style a little bit, put a man marker, shall we say, on Donovan, or are they just going to play the regular uh, 3-5-2 and try to absorb uh, absorb what pressure? The Rev are a terrific marking team. Um, you know, I think that, that it's, it's, it's been really interesting to watch them attack the ball when the other team has it. Uh, they do that very, very well, and they don't get caught, uh, you know, out very much with that. But L.A. is a faster team, and the Rev, if they have one failing, I think, as a team, it's, it's that they don't have a whole lot of team speed. So they always have to play uh, aware that they're going to have to track back and track back very 
quickly, which I think is one of the reasons that sometimes you do see space open up in the midfield when the Revolution are really aware that they, they shouldn't be caught in a counter. So it'll be a very, very interesting matchup, and, and Nickel and Mariner as well, and Vinoli, but, but Nickel has really proven himself this year that he is a, a very interesting strategist, and he's willing to change change things on the fly. So I think it'll be very interesting to watch this. What gets what gets set up specifically to play against LA, and what happens as the game goes on? Well, I think a big factor in that game is going to be Michael Parker's and how he plays against a guy like Donovan. I think some of his uh, maybe not his best games of the season have been against a guy like Avar and Dejorkiov. And Parker's uh, we haven't mentioned yet won Rookie of the Year this week, and a uh, great award for him. And we have uh, and we have comments from uh, Jose Cancela and Steve Ross and what they thought about that. And we can play Jose Cancela's comments on uh, how. Michael Parker has played now. So we are ready for this game, for the final. Uh, if we can, we want uh, make our championship. So uh, the team is ready for tomorrow. Eh? And what did it mean to you to play such a big part in the win last weekend? Solo, my job is to uh, help the team. And when I went into the game, I did everything to uh, help my teammates, and we were very lucky. And against a team like Chicago. Uh, without their star defensive midfielder Chris Armas, uh, do you think that makes your job a little easier? Uh, it is. Uh, Chris Armas is one. Chris Armas is a very good player. Uh, Chicago has a, a great number of midfielders, and our job is to uh, overcome that strength in the midfield and have a good, uh, successful game at home. Could you talk a little bit about uh, how your season has been so far and the importance of having a good game last week and uh, for the future team? Seguramente, we're just going to work. It's going to be business as, u- as usual, although it is a, uh, a one-game elimination, so we have to take that into consideration. We have to really uh, step the game up. And Michael Parkhurst has played such a big part in this team and earned Rookie of the Year work. Do you talk about the contribution he's made to the team? Sí, Mike is, is a muy buen jugador. Michael is a is a great player. He's well deserving of that award. Uh, he's been the key factor in the uh, the way the team has been playing throughout the year, and everyone is a, is supposed to be playing a key part, key role on the team. Now that was Jose Cancela's pregame comments and also what he thought of Michael Parker's winning the Rookie of the Year award. Uh, some other awards yet to be announced that our Rose players are up for is. Uh, the MVP award, which according to Mark Connolly, uh, said on his radio show Soccer Talks as well as on uh, In the Net, uh, Twelman has won that award and he's seen the results. Uh, we, don't, we won't know for sure yet until the 10th, but I, I think Twelman is very deserving of that award with all the game-winning goals he's had this season and leading the league in scoring. Well, I think one of the, you know, uh, Greg Lawless mentioned himself, one of the great strengths of the revolution is the team aspect. And, and the longer you think about who should win MVP of the team or MVP of the league, the more confusing it becomes. Yes, Twelman's a terrific, terrific candidate, and congratulations to him if he does it. But maybe Shalry Joseph, too. Uh, maybe Michael Parker, Stephen. I mean, how, who would have thought uh, four months ago, five months ago, when the season started, um, that our problems in the back would be solved by a 21-year-old rookie. Well, certainly that was the main talking point coming into the season, the issue at center back with the loss of Rusty Pierce in the expansion draft and then Carlos Chimosa's long-term injury. Uh, so it, it, it was great to see him come in here and take that starting spot and play so well and play every minute of every game because he's exactly the type of player I think the team needed. Absolutely. And uh, we got to wrap things up here, uh, but before we go, uh, once again, the Rose are going to be playing the Los Angeles Galaxy in Frisco, uh, in Texas, which will be, I believe, Sunday at 3 o'clock p.m. on ABC Sports, and that should be an excellent game. Uh, I think the Rams are going to win it, but it's going to be a tough match. 
uh, possibly even going to overtime. I think these two teams are going to be an evenly matched team. We've seen them play twice so far this season. Both of the games have been tied. Uh, what's your analysis, and what do you, who do you think is going to come out the victory of that game? I, I think it's all going to be strategic. It's all going to be a question of how what Landon shows up and how we deal with that. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to us today. Uh, you can get the archives at revolutionrecap.com. You can get your latest Revs news at anyrevs.com and revsnet.com with uh, Jim Dow's pieces of writing out there. And uh, you can hear us next week from 7 to 8 p.m. right here on AM 1320 as well as over the Internet at 1320thedrive.com. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you.